New hot and iced sunrise batch coffee from Dunkin'. A bright and balanced, full-bodied blend, brewed so you can get summering from sunrise to sunset. And even after that, because that's when you can show off those string lights you hung in the backyard. Or re-hung. Enjoy a medium, hotter, iced sunrise batch coffee for $2. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Switching to GEICO is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, GEICO makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to GEICO, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, GEICO has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to GEICO. It's obviously a good idea. Well, Happy New Year. We can say that because this is the first episode of the new year. And I don't know what the etiquette is behind whether you're supposed to stop saying after the first week or after the end of January or after the end of February. I don't know. But this is our first episode of 2018. And it's funny because (laughs) a lot has happened in the first couple of weeks of the new year. And we're going to talk about some of those things and some of them are a bit funny and sad at the same time. But yeah, we'll get to some of those and then we'll talk with Stephanie Hamill with the National Diversity Coalition for Trump. All of this on the first episode of Trend Chat in this new year, 2018. Everybody to another episode of Trend Chat. I'm your host Brian Bledsoe. And if you want to connect with us, whether we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it's all the same name, Trend Chat 24/7. And I would love for you to get the new book, Politics: Claiming Call to Political Activism, which is available on Barnes and Noble and Amazon, which which contains over 300 pages talking about different subjects, whether it's Education, healthcare, general politics, a lot more, which also contains my article about becoming a national delegate in 2016. It was funny I had to say that because I was saying last year, but now it's coming up two years ago. So, yeah, so yeah, pick up that copy. Just go to Barnes and Noble, Amazon, 
it should be available there pick up five or six hundred copies <laughs> but um but yeah so it's it's a great book um anyone who is interested in even one wanting to know about political activism or want to get involved it's a great resource to um to get started as far as where you to kind of give you a glimpse as to understand what it takes and what it i mean how it's not even that difficult when you think about it I know a lot of people tend to think about political activism and want to get involved and like, well, I, I don't have the time with, well, you know, it's not even that difficult if you just step out and just do something. So anyway, appreciate everyone listening. Um, like I said, this has been well, over a month since the last episode, which I didn't even think about that till today. And with, at the I guess the holidays and just life in general just kind of went by a month and didn't even notice. But we're back, and you know, it's also I was thinking, well, maybe won't be that much news happening in the first couple of weeks. I mean, we're just getting into the new year. Boy, was I wrong. So <laughs> I guess quickly, I'll just say, you know, a lot of times we go into the new year, we always have this sense of optimism that it's going to be. We're going to you know, do better. We're going to have these advances in technology and all that, you know, and we're just so chipper about going into the new year. And and then we start off in the first couple of weeks having to tell kids to not eat Tide Pods. Basically, you know, kids do not eat laundry detergent. Why? How are we getting here? Like, it feels like we're going backwards. <laughs> we're devolving as a people. We got to tell kids to not eat laundry detergent. <laughs> and, you know, I think about myself, you know, in my childhood. Yeah, we did some dumb stuff. But back then, for one, well, for one you didn't have all these labels and warnings on, on the packages saying don't do this with it don't do that you know i mean nowadays kids don't have an excuse there's more labels and warnings on a product telling you what not to do with it than what you should do with it and so for, for these kids to be just eating tapas like the warnings right there on the label it's right there on the package do not eat and it's sad that you actually have to say that but here we are so <laughs> yeah that yeah, like i said that's funny and just sad at the same time but not going to harp on that too long because i do want to get on a couple other things before we talk with stephanie hamill because we, we had a very you know extensive interview and i want to make sure y'all get every minute of it so and now another thing President Trump said some vulgar term about countries, which if he would have used some flowery language that the Democrats use about these countries, basically maybe saying that you know, these countries are have poor living conditions or that this is a war ravaged country or <laughs> something uh, that their government is corrupt or 
just a whole number of other other terms that he could have used, but he used a very short term, uh, well, shorthand term <laughs> of everything that these liberals love to love to bring up when they want to make the case for any anybody to come over here. You know, I have no problem with immigration in general, but it's when, when they want to talk about illegal immigrant uh, immigrants and talk about when they come over here illegally, like, well, they were leaving from such horrible living conditions in such a, you know, such a horrible country, basically, that they had to flee. And even though they came here illegally, they still should be, you know, accepted, you know, with no questions asked. And then President Trump basically, you know, like I said, used a, a shorthand vulgar term for it and all of a sudden people are up in arms over it but i'm not yeah i i don't even have much else about it because i didn't think it was that big of a deal because yeah i know i don't care you know i'm i don't care about going to most of these countries especially we're talking about what uh, el salvador and nicaragua um sudan haiti i mean you know I don't think I'm I won't regret <laughs> if I never go to any one of these countries. They're not going to be like, oh, I wish I would have went with the Sudan or Yemen or Syria. But <laughs> so and then we had the government shutdown, which kind of was revolving around immigration in a way. Uh, whether you're talking about um, DACA and so the government shutdown was basically a three day weekend. <laughs> that's basically what it turned out to be in. so anyway that's basically it I might go more into it I might do another episode later on the week but I want to get to our interview with Stephanie Hamill and we talked to her like I said we had a a good long conversation and I hope y'all enjoy it and we're going to get to her after uh, a word from our friends with the founder project Hello, Trend Chat listeners. If you like the Founding Project's civics education video series, Civics for All Ages, and our educational meme series, we think you will love our new website. Join us at thefoundingproject.com and be a part of the civics movement. The Founding Project is a 501c3 education nonprofit. Please join us today. Hello, this is Trend Chat. And we are pleased to have someone that we've been trying to get a hold of, and we finally got her. She's a former political commentator at One America News, and she is now the advisor of the National Diversity Coalition for Trump. Stephanie Hamill, how you doing? Doing well. Thank you for having me. I didn't realize you were trying to get a hold of me for so long. <laughs> I guess I guess the first thing I want to ask, just give a little bit about your background as far as your time at One America and now being with the National Diversity Coalition for Trump? Yeah, so, well, first of all, I'm from Tucson, Arizona. I actually grew up in the town called Oro Valley, and I'm a wildcat, so I went to the University of Arizona, and that's kind of where I got my start in politics. I interned for the vice mayor of Tucson, and it was interesting how I met up with him. We would be sent out for class. It was our journalism class, and uh, they would send us out to the city council meeting. And I was the only student who would look forward to going to the city council to write stories on what was going on in the city. 
I was fascinated <laughs> by it. And everyone else would just dread going. They hated it. They hated writing about it. No one was passionate, not enthusiastic. And so I just didn't understand why I was so interested in that. And I always do, like, I was always interested in, in journalism and news. And uh, I, I, my first interview was when I was four years old. I interviewed a chicken. Huh? <laughs> so, but I finally, yeah, it, my, my parents have video of this too. It's really embarrassing and I will never release it. Uh, so <laughs> back to my journalism class in politics. So I was really interested in politics more than anything. And so uh, the vice mayor, uh, I had a friend that was friends with him, met him, and then he offered me an internship at the vice mayor's office. And so I was uh, part of that. And then I eventually went on to intern. It was a paid internship at the legislature, which was uh, in the capital of Arizona in Phoenix. And so I got to learn how, you know, they created all the bills there. And I got to see the fights between the Democrats and the Republicans. And at that time, I had been, uh, had, I'd always been a registered independent, and I actually just changed uh, to Republican. Uh, being, living in California, I wasn't sure how things were going to work out for Trump, and so I wanted to make sure that he won the primary, so I actually switched from independent to Republican. But I've always had conservative values, like growing up with guns, so the Second Amendment rights, I always believed in small government, um, but, you know, the Democrat Party was different 10 years ago, so the candidate, uh, the vice mayor, he was a Democrat, but he was fiscally conservative, socially liberal. So after the legislature, he ended up running for U.S. Senate against John McCain. And John McCain wasn't very, well, he, obviously he was popular in Arizona, but a lot of people were unhappy because they felt like they were being ignored. And a lot of his campaign promises, uh, he wasn't keeping them. So I worked with uh, Rodney Glassman. He was the uh, U.S. Senate candidate. So uh, somehow, some way, I worked my way up to getting the title of uh, the political director, the assistant political director. So I worked directly underneath somebody, and I got to travel the entire state of Arizona, meeting with the constituents all over the state and uh, people in the Navajo Nation, uh, you name it. So I went to every single community. I met with uh, business leaders, with politicians, and that really opened my eyes. Uh, and then from there, I ended up going back to local news, and I worked at the uh, station for CBS in Yuma, Arizona. So we covered the desert southwest. I covered parts of California, like El Centro. I also covered the border. And from there, I was more of a general political reporter. So I covered crime. I covered immigration. I did cover politics. So I had a lot of opportunities to interview the, the local politicians of that, that represented that area. And then eventually I uh, moved on to One American News Network, and I was there for about five years. And so this was just politics 100% of the time. And uh, at that time, I had already decided that I would probably never vote for a Democrat ever again. And the, the one Democrat that I had worked for, like I said, he was more of a Republican than a Democrat. And to prove it, he's actually a Republican now, and he's running for office as a Republican in Arizona. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, and, and working for One American News Network was really interesting because I had started there before the network had even launched. And I just couldn't believe that there was a conservative network that was going to open up and have a base in San Diego, California, which I don't know if you've ever had a chance to visit here, but it's a beautiful city. It's one of the most beautiful cities, I'd say, in our country. The weather is perfect all year round. People are really nice. And you, know, you have the ocean and just the beautiful green views. and lots of restaurants and fun nightlife and, you know, something perfect for somebody my age. And uh, now I'm working at, and now I have the title as an advisor for the National Diversity Coalition for Trump. 
which I'm really excited about because I've been promoting his agenda and supporting him since, you know, the primary. And uh, now that he's in office, we have to fight harder to continue to promote his agenda because we have the mainstream media and the Democrats and Hollywood and everyone just trashing it when his agenda will actually help all Americans. Well, now we are past President Trump's first year. Where do you see the next year going for the president? And also as far as the past year? Yeah, I mean, I think he's accomplished a lot in his first year, especially, uh, you know, he didn't even have the support of his own party. I mean, constantly people in his own party are fighting against him. You know, they have the anti-Trump, the Trump derangement syndrome going on. And, you know, we never hear the good things that this president is doing. We have the mainstream media that are literally reporting on how many scoops of ice cream he has at an event and why that's a bad thing. Or we have the mainstream media that are, continue to push the Russia collusion narrative that is pretty much has fallen apart because there's no evidence. There's, there's no evidence of collusion between the president and Russia. And so they just keep hanging on to that. And that's all we hear over and over again. But yeah, his first year was incredible. The Dow's up 40%. He added $8 trillion to the economy. Consumer confidence is at a 17-year high unemployment at a 17-year low, and that's for African-Americans, like a historic low, and also Hispanics. We had the largest tax reform in the U.S. history. ISIS is pretty much defeated. We got conservative judges like Neil Gorsuch and, you know, the drop in number of illegal border crossings. And that's, you know, he hasn't even built the wall yet. And so, you know, we're sending out that message that you can't continue to violate our laws. We are a sovereign nation, a nation of laws. And if you come here, you know, there's going to be consequences. We also have the deregulation, and that's so important for businesses. And the recognition of Jerusalem for Israel, that was something that every single president had promised from Bill Clinton to the Bushes. And President Trump was the one who was able to accomplish it. It's, it's amazing now that Democrats are complaining about it. They had, and Obama had promised it as well. And so that was never an issue. Now President Trump takes action and, and accomplishes something that the other presidents couldn't do, and somehow they spin it into some sort of negative. And I think you told me you were at the inauguration of Donald Trump. Uh, you were there yeah. possibly for the inaugural ball. I was there too. And I was really optimistic for you know how this year was going to be. And looking forward to having a new president that campaigned on putting Americans first. Yeah, I was at the inauguration and yeah, it was it was it was nice. <laughs> I had a I had a good time. Yeah, I, I did too. And you know, I, I have to admit I I shed some tears of joy. I mean it was just so amazing to be part of history and all the pictures that I'll have to remember being there for such an important day. And I got criticized by people for being there. Oh, you're supporting a white supremacist or racist. How could you be there? Uh, you you should, you know, what's wrong with you? You're betraying your own people. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Just because the mainstream media and the sycophants just tell us over and over again that this president is a racist, that's, that's garbage. That's not true. Look at his past. Look at all the people he's employed. And also look at the fact that Nobody ever called him a racist until he decided to run for president. If anything, I mean, he's the least racist person you could ever meet. This guy has everything. Everything he said is documented. He has all this video of him. 
And I've never seen a racist moment of President Trump. And calling for the enforcement of our laws is not racist. Uh, calling for national security, beefing up national security, protecting our borders, that's not racist. And so I think there's just this confusion. And uh, I went on to MSNBC on the program AM with Tori Reid. And every other word during that segment was about how President Trump's racist and how his administration is racist. And they were trying to dig up stuff from like 10, 15 years ago. Uh, they were reading some of uh, somebody from his administration, one of their high school papers uh, when they were, you know, like literally maybe 17 or 18. And they were trying to twist that into some sort of racist situation. And I just told him, like, the president's not a racist. I, I just don't understand why they, they can repeat it as much as they want to, but that doesn't make it true. And the hate that I got from doing that segment is it, really eye-opening because, you know, the leftists are always the most tolerant people. They say, you know, they are, they are so open-minded. But yet when a, a, a Mexican woman who happens to be conservative, who happens to be a Trump supporter, shows up on the show, She's completely disrespected and torn apart uh, by the, you know, uh, other three that were on this panel that were all anti-Trumpers and extremely liberal. It, you know, they didn't have, it's clearly they didn't have any respect for me. And you know, I know that Joy Reid is a uh, tough interviewer and she usually spreads apart the Republicans that she has on there because it's her own show. And it's not that she has so many great, uh, um, you know, it, 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 it's not that it's because it's her show and she can just, just shut up the other person who's talking. They'll literally cut your mic. And so, yep. you know, everyone's like, oh, Stephanie Hamill got destroyed by Joy Reid. I'm like, I didn't get destroyed. I mean, I just got silenced by the left, which is what's always happening. And see, and Joy Reid has this cover of having this quote-unquote conservative Jennifer Rubin on here. She's not a conservative at all. And and she used her as a cover for her show, and then she attacks you as well, basically trying to say that you were raised by wolves just just because you want the law enforced. I don't know. Well, a lot of people that haven't been on TV before, you're usually, I wasn't in New York for this hit. So I'm sitting in a room by myself on a chair with somebody running the camera. I can't see who's on the panel. And I have three different voices in my ear. And I'm trying to distinguish who said what. And sometimes I don't get to hear everything. And so that's part of the difficulty of doing news, especially uh, if I'm in San Diego and they're in New York, you're just listening to earpiece. I couldn't see them. And so I missed what she said about the about being raised by wolves. I thought she was talking about something else. So that's why I didn't respond to her. I just kind of moved on and just said she was spreading misinformation, which she was. And, you know, what I have to say to her is that, no, I was not raised by wolves. I was raised by two hardworking Americans that love this country. My mom's an immigrant, but she loves this country and she respects the laws. And she went through the process, the long process. And so that's why, you know, she's not a supporter of, of uncontrolled illegal immigration. And so that's something that she taught us. And, you know, growing up, my parents had this love for this country. And my mom criticizes those that show up to the Trump rallies with their Mexican flags and burn the American flag. She, she doesn't understand why you would do that? Like, why would you be parading around with a flag from another country in the United States? Uh, you have the freedom to go where you want to be. If you love Mexico so much, go back to Mexico. And it, and just, you know, that goes the other way. That would be like me going to Mexico, running around with an American flag. You just don't do that. And it's disrespectful to our nation. 
So my mom will be the first one to call that type of stuff out. But yeah, uh, Jennifer Rubin, uh, the personal attacks were totally uncalled for. I think it's really unprofessional working in news for so long and then also, you know, understanding the Democrat Party and the Republican Party really well and studying all this and having friends from that support both political parties. I would never treat somebody disrespectfully because of their views. I listen to everyone and the personal attacks are totally uncalled for. I mean, I've guest hosted many programs on the One American News Network where we invite liberal uh, guests onto the show, and I listen to them. And while I don't agree with them, that doesn't mean I'm going to be rude to them. And then, you know, when they leave the set, I'm really nice to them. I saw one of the ladies that was on the panel. She was also making fun of me on Twitter. And it's just, just let it go. We have different views. And, and, this, and this person called herself a feminist. If you're a feminist, you support all women, even if they don't agree with you. Well, that's just the hypocrisy. That's just just something that is basically connected with, you know, liberals and progressives now. Because they love to say that they're for tolerance and, you know, that they're for all women. Or even for me being a black, black man, you know, they'll say that they're for all black people and whatnot. And, but that's a lie. Just flat out lie. Because if anyone has any different opinion away from their collectivist, progressive, communist, socialist policies, you're basically not even a woman. So in your case, or for me, I'm not even black because I don't agree with those policies. But Oh, I'm sure you've been called a lot of names. I'm, you probably have been, even been called a white supremacist or a supporter <laughs> of white supremacy, haven't you? I mean... You, what type of stuff do you get for being a Trump supporter and for you know going to the inauguration? You know, at this point, I didn't even really get much because for, I guess for the past, what, I don't know, five or six years, I remember at first, I used to have discussions back and forth. I mean, I call them discussions, but basically one, <laughs> one person was shouting back at me. I'm, at this point, most people had kind of just don't even bother, at least on my on my Facebook or, or on Twitter. Every now and then someone wants to, you know, mainly the people that don't know me and just uh, just can't imagine that I would have a different opinion from whatever Democrat policy or whatever, you know, progressive, whatever. Some Sometimes I come across someone like that and they like and they just can't can't process it in their brain and they just start throwing out all these attacks. But it happens every now and then, actually. I guess maybe if podcast goes, you know, gets a little bit more traction, maybe. <laughs> the, the hate against me went up probably at least uh, 80% after going on MSNBC. I wasn't on the radar. And One American News Network, people that tune into the shows that I worked on, mostly were conservative viewers. And so they were looking for an escape from the mainstream media and they were looking yeah. for truth telling and, and people that supported the conservative agenda. So you know, 99.9% .9 of the people that would write in would say, wow, I love your show. It's a breath of fresh air. Keep doing what you're doing. And just even just the Fox News hits I had done, you know, I get a lot of support for them. But the people that are watching MSNBC, I mean, they exploded after I made my appearance on AM uh, with Joy Reid. Well, and my, I have a website and people took the time. I mean, a lot of people, like dozens and dozens of emails they they sent me all these emails telling me that I I must hate myself because I'm Mexican or that again that I'm a white supremacist and that I'm with the racist president and you know I'll have to beg for forgiveness later in life and just 
all this stuff. I didn't have time to read all of them, but I just went through a few emails and they attacked me on Twitter and a bunch of people made kind of like spoof videos of my interview. Uh, this interview got tons of hits and just on one clip shared on Twitter had 3 million views and it wasn't one that I even posted. So it got a lot of attention, but on their side and just, like I said, they can't respect somebody else's opinion. They just have to, to trash me and, and tear me down. I guess one of the attacks that I hear that I just, I just for the life of me don't understand what they what they mean is when they, want to tell me that I must hate myself like or even hate black people or whatever like that like why just because of having a difference of opinion mean I hate somebody mean I hate myself and I just and whenever someone wants to make want to make that attack on whether it's a tweet or whatever on Facebook I always say that why is that why do you think I hate myself just because I have a different opinion not not even so much saying I'm if I say I was a Republican or a libertarian like that no I just Think differently than you. <laughs> That's all it is. And uh, for some, for that reason, I must hate myself. Uh, it's like in my response to this person that asked me if I hate myself or told me that I hate myself. Actually, I don't hate myself. I love myself and I love my family. And it was, you know, it's really neat growing up in a bicultural household, going to Mexico, speaking to my family in Spanish and visiting with them there, and then going to the other side of the country here in Michigan and visiting my dad's side of the family. And seeing how, you know, we do things differently, but at the end, we're all caring, loving people with, you know, pretty much the same intentions. Like, we all want to be loved. We all want to have careers. And, you know, we want to live our lives freely uh, without the uh, intrusion of government. And even my family in Mexico understands that, too. And, and they're, they're not critical of President Trump. They're actually happy that there's a president. Uh, who wants to take care of his country and, and they don't blame him for that. In fact, you know, th they have issues with their own president. Why would they be criticizing ours? And it's something that we always see these former presidents of Mexico, like Vincente Fox, he's constantly criticizing President Trump. I'm like, uh, why don't you worry about yourself and Mexico? Um, you empowered the drug cartels in your country. That's why people are fleeing Mexico because there's not a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of crime. And so why don't you control your country so that people aren't trying to, to flee and cross the border to come to the United States? And don't you find, isn't that ironic that he's criticizing the president when he should be working and fixing the problems in his country? Well, he he doesn't want to put himself in a bad light because he know where he has failed. And so he want to put all the blame on America in any way possible. And, you know, for the past eight years, Obama was helping him <laughs> with that as far as, far as that blame. He would, you know, Obama would agree that it's America's fault, yeah, that America is to blame. So but now we have someone in the White House that's not going to play that game. Yeah, President Obama was the apologist in chief. I mean, he was just running around the world apologizing for nothing. I mean, the U.S. didn't have anything to apologize for, but yeah, he did the what I would call the apology tours, and we would call them out on it, uh, the One American News Network. And uh, Vicente Fox, I was telling you that he has Trump's derangement syndrome, so much so he's such a pathetic loser that he wrote a new book. And to sell his book, he wrote bad things about Trump in it. So it's like even he's making money off of Trump. Like our economy is on fire. People are getting jobs again. And, you know, everyone's really optimistic about the future right now. And, and Vincent the Fox, he's going to make money off Trump, too. 
Yeah, and and he also got women marching too. Got got them exercising even more. You know, out there because they always protesting something. I mean, they really burning some calories because of Trump. You need to thank them. Well, I guess it gives people purpose, right? Yeah. Uh, the the resistance, and and I'm still kind of unclear what they're protesting about. I mean, what what are they so mad about? And I always am still confused when they try to compare Trump to Hitler and that he's taking away women's rights. It's like, show me what proof you have. And if if that were the case, I'd be marching with you. But you're just totally wrong on this issue. They need to let it go. People need to stand behind this president. And something I always tell people is that I never voted for Obama in either election, but I was always hopeful that he would do a good job. And I was supportive of the president in a way that, you know, I wasn't trashing him 99% of the time. I wanted a successful 44th president. And he was a huge disappointment. And yeah, I was, um, you know, this was a great time in history where the United States could elect its first black president. And I think that those milestones are, are important where we are at a point in our country where that could happen. But, you know, going forward, it's not just about your ethnicity or your religion or whatever to be elected to something you need to be qualified and so you know president obama the reason one of the reasons i didn't vote for him was because i just didn't see it i mean he had only really been like a community organizer and i just i wasn't 100 percent supportive of his platform and so uh that's why i didn't vote for him in either the election but yeah. today it's like people want to see president trump fail and they don't care if he does fail and they don't care if it hurts the country they're just so distraught that they all got it wrong because they all thought he could never win and that's the mainstream media i mean they're they're embarrassed and so they want to be right in some senses so that they can uh you know have credibility once again yeah i i didn't vote for obama at all didn't think twice about voting for him and I, and i was not optimistic at all <laughs> um uh you know when he when he won in 08 i was like i was yeah i was very pessimistic about <laughs> about what was to come and um yeah yeah i wasn't i didn't think he was going to do anything remotely that i would agree with that would be good for the country but i i did want to mention i know that you mentioned about um uh, about immigration because that's basically have been a very you know, hot topic right now, and that's been the focus of well, now the uh, government shutdown has just ended, which it, it wasn't even that long. You know, like a three-day weekend. Uh, historically, if you look at the government shutdowns uh, in the past four decades, you'll see that the longest government shutdown was three weeks, and that was in the 90s. And then the last government shutdown was in uh, 2013, and it was uh, Senator Ted Cruz who kind of spearheaded this effort and it was over Obamacare. And at the time, Obamacare uh, polling showed that only 30% of Americans supported Obamacare. They didn't want that rammed down their throats. And so what he was fighting for was a good cause. Um, and, but the Democrats were calling Republicans legislative arsonists. We heard from Chuck Schumer. He would, he was saying that no matter what you believe, never, you know, never, make it so that the government has to shut down over your beliefs. And then we fast forward to today, uh, what the Democrats were stalling over was DACA. And, you know, now, like you said, the, the shutdown is over. They agreed to, to end it. Uh, the Democrats had to give in because they had no choice. 
the American people, including DACA supporters, thought it was unconscionable to put the DACA people, non-U.S. citizens, before the American people, before vulnerable children, before government workers, before the military. And DACA was an unrelated bill. The bill had everything that Democrats supported. And I want to point out that there was no separate DACA bill even ready to be voted on. And so the president and Republicans are compassionate, have compassion for the DACA people uh, that were brought into this country illegally through no fault of their own when they were minors. And a lot of them don't have families to be reunited to uh, with, or reunited with in their countries of origin. And some of them don't even speak the language. And that's why polling, if, of course, if you believe the polls, shows that the majority of Americans support giving these people amnesty. And that will be handled. There's plenty of time as this deadline uh, is coming up on March 5th. So it was reckless. It was irresponsible for the Democrats to trigger the shutdown over this issue. And I do think it's something that's going to hurt the Democrats in the 2018 midterm elections. And so that's why Senator, uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer had to give in. He didn't think this through. The Senate Minority Leader was like a villain. This is how I imagine him. He was like a villain dreaming up what he thought was this like genius plan to cast a shadow over the anniversary of President Trump's first year. I mean, the, the timing of it makes me believe that that's what he was doing. Couldn't you just imagine him in his office like an evil villain thinking this all up? And then it's hilarious because it all backfired and now the Democrats are the ones that are going to be hurt by this. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine him just like sitting there with his with his glasses down to his nose, kind of like, you know, had his fingers up, just like mm-hmm. <laughs> like twiddling, like uh, Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can definitely see him just like that. I mean, even though the government is back, in, you know, back up and running, is right now you're kind of kicking the can down the road because it's temporary because it's only going to February the eighth. And then we're basically going to be starting this all over again. And so the one, I guess the one fear that I have and what we're talking about the DACA people is just the, I hope this don't turn into 1986 again, where, you know, you kind of promise that you're going to get, you know, border security and all these things that, you know, conservatives are going to love, but yet, um, and then the Democrats get everything they want like immediately, but then, when it comes time for the wall or for any sort of border security, that's when they tied up in all these votes and don't want to give out the money, you know, appropriate the money for everything. So that's the fear that I have as far as any deals um, going towards, you know, anything involving DACA right now. Yeah. And and you brought up a couple of things is that, yeah, they've extended this for a couple of weeks, but um, this is, why there were a few Republicans that actually voted against this bill because they were sick of this vicious cycle of the continuing resolutions. Um, It it is very disruptive for the military. And so that's why they actually need like a year long spending bill instead of this stop gap. Uh, And that's something that they're going to have to look at at this year. We can't keep doing this uh, every few months. They need a real budget. And as for DACA, yeah, this was ridiculous to try to shove this into this bill. Uh, there was no real DACA bill to even attach to this. And going forward, uh, so, so the Democrats are claiming a win here that they brought DACA uh, to the light, to spotlight, so that everyone in America is aware of it. And 
but the Republicans already agreed to a compromise, but there's, there's only one way that they can do DACA, and that's if other illegal immigration reforms are combined. Because if they do DACA and they don't give money to, for the border wall or, you know, for extra for border security, then we're going to have DACA all over again in a few years where we're going to have all these young people coming in, being sent here, being brought by their parents because they think that they're going to get some sort of amnesty. So we need the world to know that, yes, we are a compassionate country, but we are a nation of laws. And going forward, we're not going to do this again. Well, there's been many Republican presidents, as you know, who have granted amnesty, even Reagan, Bush. Uh, um, so we just don't want to end up in this in this area again and having to, to put people that are in the DACA program in this situation. I mean, I couldn't imagine being them. A lot of these people were brought here when they were maybe two years old, four years old, 13. And so a lot of them don't even speak the language where they would be sent home to. Could you imagine being sent home to your country of origin and you don't speak the language and you don't have family members there? It's outrageous. Yes, the parents that brought them to, to the United States are at fault, but like we're just at this point where you know, if these people are here uh, and they're contributing, they should be able to stay. Kind of like what you mentioned is, you know, it was the parents. Um, parents are to blame in as far as for even starting this cycle of, you know, bringing them here illegally. And, and, and also, I know a lot of times you see a lot of stories, you know, of people maybe being deported. And I, I guess one thing that tends to come up is that, there was a lot of time in between. Uh, okay, obviously you can't set for someone that's like, you know, like I said, with two or four or, or 10 or something like that. But then you have stories of people who are like 30 some years old who are getting deported. Like, well, you had a lot of time to to try to, to you know, rectify your situation. And so that's, yeah. I know that's, you see plenty of them stories that come across, whether on, you know, media outlets or not. There's a plenty. There's a lot of different, lot of different stories out there. But I know that's one thing that you see that I see a lot, at least, um, especially trying to, you know, trying to play up as far as, you know, kind of the, <laughs> the sentiment as far as, you know, people getting yeah, deported they, and stuff. They call them DACA kids, yeah. and they're not kids anymore. A lot of them are adults. Yeah. So, but like I said, it, it, if there's a way to compromise and do some sort of comprehensive uh, immigration reform, then this is the way to do it. And if you look at polling, of course, if you believe the polls, the majority of Americans support a DACA deal. So could you imagine the outrage if the DACA people were sent home? And even even though it is unfair, because there are a lot of people that are waiting in line that have are going through the process to become U.S. citizens, it's unfair for them because now they're pushed back. Now 800,000 people are given citizenship. And so, again, it, it does send the wrong message. But if we can do it the right way, where we do the DACA deal, we end chain migration, we end this ridiculous diversity lottery program, which is what gave us the latest New York City terrorists. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that can improve our immigration system and also send the message to the world that we're not playing around anymore. I'm guessing that, you know, that's going to be worked out. Hopefully it'll be worked out this time in the in the couple of weeks we have until we back at this same point again but um stephanie i really appreciate your time and i well tell everyone how to get in touch with you on social media and anywhere else 
Yeah, so I, I'm on Facebook. I have a Facebook page. If you like me, you can like me there. You can try to add me. I think I might be at my limit on friends, but definitely like my page. I am recently signed up for Instagram, and so I'm trying to use that quite a bit. I know a lot of younger millennials are on there, so I thought I'd connect with people that way. And I'm most active on Twitter. I use Twitter a lot, so on it pretty much all day if you want to like me or not like me follow me on twitter and your twitter handle it's steph m hamill all right uh, you know what one last thing yeah speaking of twitter you know i i i've seen the the pinned post on <laughs> on your twitter and to see the joy in your face when you're shooting that ar-15 that you got for christmas <laughs> and, um, it, I just want to ask, what brand is that AR? <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's an AR-15 pistol. Uh, my dad got it for me for Christmas. I haven't brought it to California yet because I don't even, I don't think it's legal here. Uh, my dad has a, a few of my guns uh, that he's given me over the years in a safe at his house just because of California laws. They're all weird here. So everything's illegal pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a really fun gun to shoot. It, it, it was awesome. <laughs> And so I've got to figure out a way. If not, I'll just have to move out of California, right? Uh, yeah. Well, well, you know, there's always New California, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I heard that they wanted to uh, split up California into two, one for the Republicans and one for Democrats, right? Yeah. And, new, and you know, the thing about New California, they'll be on the border. So it might be, you know, a, a lot <laughs> a lot more stringent as far as, you know, when it comes to immigration. Yeah, maybe we'll we'll have to see about that. I I don't think that the movement will really go anywhere. It's something that they've been discussing for I don't know what decades. Well, yeah, maybe yeah. like the past decade. Well, but I, uh, I think California is definitely in crisis. I mean, the 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 wacky laws that the legislature comes up with are mind boggling, and you have to wonder like what these legislators are thinking uh, when they come up with these laws. But I guess we'll have to save that for another podcast. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, we can always dream. So, <laughs> so Stephanie, I, I appreciate your time, and we we'll hope to talk to you again soon. Okay, thanks a lot. Yep, and thanks to Stephanie for joining us. And that's it for this episode. We're at our limit. So, well, I guess we'll be back next week. And, as a matter of fact, I know exactly who we'll have. And we'll have to tell you about that later. So, until next week we'll chat with you later now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the dominion energy reliability investment our new investment product offers competitive returns no maintenance fees and flexible online access to your money make the reliable investment in reliable energy the dominion energy reliability investment to find out more go online to reliabilityinvestment.com that's reliabilityinvestment.com. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. My dad used to say that. Sure, yeah. It's from Geico. Yeah, whenever I would ask my dad for life advice, he'd sit me down and say, son, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. And look at me now, a well-adjusted adult with a drawer full of plastic bags I'll never use. <laughs> okay, I'm confused. Was your dad a licensed Geico agent? Nah, he was just a real good dad. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.